Jasmine Floyd was born with a small bump on her toe, and uh, doctors told her parents that it, it wasn't anything. But then at about eight or nine months old, she started to acquire some more bumps on her back and on her, on her skull. Not really knowing what the, the cause of those bumps were, the doctors were, were stumped until she entered kindergarten and complained of a stiff neck. And her, her mom just thought that she had slept wrong. But day after day passed and she wasn't able to, to move her neck in any kind of normal capacity. It wasn't until she was in first grade that doctors finally diagnosed her with uh, what is known as FOS, and I'm not even going to try and attempt the, the, the long medical name, but, but what she has is a disorder that any kind of, of bump or bruise that she gets, her body then develops, her, her muscle, her um, ligaments, then turns into bone. It's a process that, that normally only happens whenever you fracture a bone, that, that the body heals and replaces that damaged area with bone. But this is a rare disorder. And, and so now, anytime she gets any kind of bruise, any kind of bump, she develops bone. She is literally developing a second skeletal system. And it is extraordinarily painful for her. Her mobility is limited more and more each day. These outside forces that are, are normal are, are causing this abnormal reaction that is limiting her ability to function. If we were to take out the, the, the pain and the heartache out of that family, it's just quite a, a fascinating thing that, that, that something that is normal creates dysfunction in the body of this girl. I think the same thing can happen to churches. The outside forces, they, they exert a pressure on the inside, and sometimes the, re, the response of, of those inside of churches can actually create dysfunction, something that limits its mobility and ultimately will cause its death. So last week we started this study on the, the letters of the, to the seven churches of Asia found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And, and as we kind of review here, John presents this, this vision of Jesus, and Jesus has a message to the churches. Now, he picks out seven of these churches, and we talked about last week how, how John is exiled in Patmos because of his faith. We don't know exactly what he has done that, that has deserved this but in a world that, that was pluralistic, in a world that was polytheistic, Christians were often persecuted as if they were atheists because they didn't believe in all the, the, the number of gods. And we'll continue to see as we look at these seven cities, some of the struggles that they face, perhaps what went into John being exiled. There are many scholars that believe that, that the, the number seven is chosen to represent the, the, the totality of, of churches. That while these, church, these letters are written and there's specific information that, that is unique to each of these seven cities, each of the letters ends with whoever has ears to hear, let, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That what we have 
in these letters and and more broadly speaking in the book of revelation it is what is known as a circular letter now we don't write letters very often anymore we 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 deal in text and digital communication but in a world that 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 was limited in the the ability to communicate to the masses what often had what would often happen whenever you were trying to communicate to a, no, a large number of people is you would write a letter to one place and they were then to write that letter or, or send that letter on to an, another place. We see this in uh, Galatians and in Colossians. There's instructions at the end of those letters that, that they're to, to, to pass that letter on to another city, that they're to exchange letters. So it's a message that is to all churches. And Jesus, I think, still has a message for his church today. Jesus has a message for the colonies, Church of Christ, today. If we have ears to hear, Jesus has a message for you individually if you have ears to hear that message. While these are seven actual cities and the, 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 the letters, the, the, the seven cities kind of follow this pattern of a, um, that a, a courier would, would actually follow in kind of a, a reverse or counterclockwise uh, manner, beginning with Ephesus. Ephesus was a, a port city, which in that time automatically meant it was a place of great significance. And there are a couple of stories in the book of Acts that, that kind of uh, give us some information about this city. We know that, that the city was known for it, its temple that was dedicated to Artemis, which is the, the, the Greek name for this god. The Latin word is, is Diana. Paul was there preaching and uh, a riot ensued. Because the message he was preaching, it, it caused some problems for blacksmiths that were creating these idols. This temple was, uh, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a beautiful sight. Everyone gathered at this place. Everyone worshipped Artemis. Everyone praised Diana for the, the fruitfulness that she brought to their land. Except for the Christians. Also inside this temple dedicated to Artemis or Diana, by the time John is writing, uh, they had also started to incorporate the worship of the Caesars. Imperial cult was was spreading rampantly. It began after Julius Caesar was assassinated. The story began to be told that that after he was assassinated, that he ascended up to the heavens. And so his successor, Augustus, he took the name Son of God. He didn't necessarily claim deity himself. He just recognized that Julius became God. And so he was son of the gods. And that escalated and Domitian, he even, he started to require that people worshipped him as a God. And so whenever you think about the Christians and they, 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 they point to Jesus as the son of God and they say that there is only one 
Lord, those are deeply political messages. Because whenever they say Jesus is Lord, they are automatically saying that Caesar is not. You see the, the pressure that the, this church is living in. So Jesus writes a letter to the, the church that is facing great suffering and persecution at the hands of the community that they live in. And all of these letters follow the same form. It begins with a description of Jesus that is taken from, uh, most of the time, that, that description is taken from uh, Revelation 1, 9 through 20 that we read last week. The, the, this kind of picture of Jesus that is, is one of power and sovereignty. Here to the, the church at Ephesus, if you'll go ahead and put the first verse up there. The description is uh, of, uh, of Jesus who, who holds the, the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. See, while the imperial cult had one advantage over all the other gods, and that being that the, the Caesar was, was visible, that you could go and you could see the Caesar. You could go to Rome and, and, and all the other gods, they were just these stone statues or these wooden carved statues. But the Caesar, he was real. But Jesus presents himself, he describes himself not just as, as incarnate, not just as someone that you can see, but as someone who sees you. So Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices or the deeds of the, the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So we have this description of Jesus who is walking among the churches, who is holding them, the, the angels in his hands. And then the letters move to the, the condemnation or the uh, commendation. Jesus will, will have something to say specifically about the churches, that, that they are doing right or that they, were do, they are doing wrong. There's one church that he will write to that he has nothing good to say at all. And I believe there are two that he, sa he doesn't have anything bad to say to them. And the letters end 
with a promise. A promise for those who overcome. A promise for those who remain faithful in spite of the circumstances that they are living in. So what is the message that Jesus gives to the church at Ephesus? The message is simply this, that Jesus loves, that you love what he loves. I have stolen that language from a, a professor of mine. When I was getting my master's in marriage and family therapy, Dr. Rathbun was, was one of, he, he was the administrator of the, the, the program. He was the director of the program. And he was a, a man that, that was very soft-spoken and just carried an air of wisdom about him. Everything from his salt and pepper beard to the, the wire-rimmed uh, glasses. And every time we were sitting in supervision and we would be talking about some of the, the counseling cases that we were facing, if we started to, to see the, the, the struggles that, that that client was having, if we started to talk about them in the frame of language that he loved, he would sit there in his chair with his coffee cup in his hand and say, I love that you love what I love. I don't know how many times I heard that. And you understand that, don't you? You, you love it when, when people around you love the things that you love. Right? I see, see Jake back here, and I know that, that, that Jake and, and Bo collect baseball cards. And, and some of that, that started with you, Jake, right? And, and you enjoy the fact that, that as he's starting to grow, that, that he enjoys the things that you enjoy. And it's not just Jake. It's all of you. Those that you are closest to. It started as you started to identify things that you love together. And whenever Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus and he commends them, he commends them for the things that they are doing right, that that they they are holding to the right doctrine. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. And loving the things that Jesus loves even means hating the things that Jesus hates. As strange as it sounds, that is true. Verse 6, Jesus says, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. We cannot deny that right doctrine and right practices, they matter. You may recall the, the time that a, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and, and asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus flips the question back on him and he says, you t- you've read the law, tell me, how do you read it? And that teacher of the law says, well, love the the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I know for those of us that are Christians, we have heard those two lines connected all of our lives. But do you realize that the, the, 
how far apart those are in the Old Testament Scriptures. Not once are those two right next to each other. Love God with all your heart and love, uh, love your neighbor. Those are books apart. And yet this wise teacher, he sees those two and he says, these are the greatest. This is how I understand all of Scripture. And Jesus looks at him and says, you have answered correctly. Or your translation may say that, that, that you have answered rightly. That the word that Jesus uses, it's the, the Greek word orthos. That you don't have to be a Greek scholar to, to be familiar with that, that term. It, we, we get our, our, our word for orthodoxy out of that. that, that that's, that's correct te- teaching or orthopraxy, correct practices. Jesus says, whenever he's asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He, he says that, that right teaching, it matters. What you believe about God, what you believe about people, what you believe about this world, it matters. And this church at Ephesus, they are taking a stand for orthodoxy. Now notice that that whenever Jesus commends them for hating something, He doesn't say that you hate the Nicolaitans. He says that that they hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Because Jesus has something against them. Jesus has a problem with the way that this church is living. While they are holding to the doctrine that they have, ha- have been handed, and this is probably a second-generation church by this point. That is, those that were there to hear Paul or uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila or Timothy, those that were here to, uh, in Ephesus to, to hear John, they, they probably aren't around anymore. It's their children that, that are receiving this message. And what Jesus has against them is that they have left their first love. Or to say it this way, that orthodoxy without love is heresy. If you remove love from your right doctrine, then what you have is heresy. It is actually against what Jesus is for. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is. And He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it. The second is equal to it. The second you can't have without the first. The the, the first you can't have without the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. In John 13, verse 35, Jesus will say that, that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Not because you believe the right things. Not because you have the answer to all the questions. But they will know by your love for one another. John would say it this way in his letter. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister 
whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. There is some debate over what exactly the first love is that they have left, that they have abandoned. Some will argue that, that they have they're, they're holding to the, the, the right words, but they, they just don't have the right motivation. They don't really love God anymore. Others say that they love God, but they are failing to love their neighbor. But I want you to see this morning that that is a false dichotomy, that you cannot drive a wedge between those two. The Scripture will not allow you to. That if you love God, you will love God people experience has taught me that that most who claim to to speak the truth in love fall very short on both counts i can't help but wonder if this church is is sitting there in that city with with all the, the different teachings that are all around them and they are simply saying that they're speaking the truth in love and 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 they're falling very short on both accounts. You see, you will be known for something. We as a church will be known for something. Some of you may have vacationed in Florida, and perhaps even at uh, Fort Walton Beach. But what you may not know is that the city wasn't originally known as Fort Walton Beach. It was actually originally known as Camp Walton. And for a long period of time, people would travel to Camp Walton expecting to find a camp that wasn't there. And so then the, 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 the leaders of the city, and I think it was about 1923, they decided to, to change the, the city name from Camp Walton to Fort Walton. Only to have people traveling there to, to look for a fort that wasn't there. So then they decided it would be wise to add the word beach at the end. If you are wearing the name Christ, what must define you is the love of God. And that doesn't just mean that, 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 that you think about God all the time, that you just love Him, that you have all these warm feelings towards God, but it also means that you love the people that are around you. The consequence, Jesus says, of abandoning, abandoning their first love is that if they don't change, verse 5, he will remove their lampstand. They will cease to exist. It's very easy whenever we are a declining church as, as in fact we are and have been for some time to blame the world, that, that we live in a world that they just don't have ears to hear the gospel anymore. And, and I don't deny that sometimes that's true. But what the letter to the church at Ephesus forces us to wrestle with, is it the, a problem with the world or is it the fact that we have abandoned first love practices? Jesus encourages the church to return to their first love. So, so how, do you, uh, how do you rediscover love that has been lost? 
Jesus provides three steps for the, the church to, to recover this love. And it begins with remember. It says, consider how far you have fallen or remember what it was like when you first came to Christ. Remember. Fred Seaton was the Secretary of Interior for uh, Dwight, President Dwight Eisenhower. And he told the story of a man that went to go see his doctor and was complaining uh, about uh, not being able to remember one thing uh, from one moment to the next. Just can't remember anything. The doctor asked him, how long has this been going on? The man looked back at the doctor with a very troubled look before responding, how long has what been going on? Now I know that that's a corny joke, but the point is that memories define who we are. If you were to just engage in a thought experiment and imagine what the world would be like if we had the, the same technology, we had the, the same advances in our world, but no memory, no uh, recollection of anything that has transpired, our world would crumble rapidly. If we still had the, the technology to, to uh, execute an atomic bomb, but no memory, no teaching of, of the, the ramifications of that, our world would just descend into chaos. Because our memories, they define who we are. And whenever you're looking for something that is lost, it begins with remember. If you've lost your keys, you sit there and go through an exercise of trying to remember the last time that you had it. The last place that, that you were whenever you had the keys in your possession. And that's all Jesus is asking them to do. Remember how far you fall. Remember where you were. And then repent. Secondly. Dostoevsky said that the difference between ants and humans is the ability to change course. Jesus says, remember or consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Change the direction in which you are going. And finally, resume. Do again the things that you were doing. Do the things you did at first. And to those who do that, Jesus holds this promise to those who are victorious. He will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In the, the temple of Art Artemis, there was a garden, a, a paradise, it, in which there was a tree. And that tree, it became a sanctuary for any criminal. That, that if you committed a crime anywhere in the world, you could go, and, and if you were within a certain distance of this tree, then you could not be harmed. And Jesus says that that is not the real tree of life. 
The tree of life, it was the tree that was there all the way back in the beginning of creation. It's the tree that will reappear in Revelation 21 and 22 in the new heavens, in the new earth. Jesus says, to those who are victorious, to those who overcome, you can come into my sanctuary and nothing, nothing will harm you. You'll be safe. That is a glorious promise. A promise that that I long for for each one of you to experience. I I long to to see all of you and to have your hand there on the tree and to know that you are safe. And I want to ask you this morning before we close, are you there? If not, then now is the time to repent. Repent. Now is the time to turn to first love. We're going to pick a, uh, we have a song of invitation. I want to encourage you to respond to the message. If you'd like prayers from our shepherds, they'll be at the back. If, if you're ready to, to, to come to that tree of life, to come to Jesus, we invite you to do so as we stand and sing together.